Welcome to episode 116 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. And we are coming to you at a very different moment in 2023 Blue Jays history than the last time we spoke. Uh, when we talked to you last, it was immediately after the disastrous series against the Texas Rangers. And so we do not do a vibe check every single week, but the vibe feels sufficiently different that it's worth going back to the well. So I'm going to say, Stoughton, where are the vibes here on Thursday, September 21st as we record? Considerably different than, yeah, the last time we recorded. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, a little bit uh, muted because of the loss in New York uh, here on Thursday night. Uh, Garrett Cole was really good. Uh, The Blue Jays looked uh, like the Blue Jays team that frustrated a lot of people all season. Um, and you know, like you can see it, you can watch the, you know, can watch the old, uh, uh, the hamster wheels turning on Twitter sometimes. And, uh, you know, just, you know, I'm seeing the people seeing the same things that they saw people seeing, you know, uh, the way they won on Wednesday night in New York, there was a lot of walks and, and weirdness. And that was kind of a thing against Boston. And, you know, maybe some of this is undeserved and, and they really had a lot of results go their, their way over the weekend, of course. And uh, a lot of people ready to jump right back into that skin where they're like, uh, no, this team is terrible and, and don't deserve it. And maybe, maybe that's true. But uh, uh, the door is, is much wider open right now than it was a week ago. Uh, and you can't not feel good about it, especially because as we, you know, as I've kind of grumbled several times before, the, the Rangers and Mariners still have to play each other a bunch. And that's going to give the Jays a bit of a cushion uh, or at least a, a margin for error that does not exist for uh, for one of those teams who is going to lose four times in the next, you know, in the seven games that they play with each other. So uh, hard not to feel pretty good uh, d- despite the loss. Uh, I know that there's going to be griping about it, but. You know they're going. They're, they weren't going to run the table. Losing to Garrett Cole is not uh, is is not <laughs> outlandish. They'll have to face some good pitching. That's the kind of thing that you're going to have to do if you're going to want to win uh, and get into October and then in October. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, it's it's worth seeing. It's not uh, it's not put your uh, put your remote down, turn the TV set off, and uh, jump out the window time like it maybe was last week. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of back to where we were before, where people still feel relatively disappointed with the team as a whole, which is fair. Uh, Sometimes the product from an entertainment standpoint is not inspiring. The offense is not totally there, even in these wins, especially over the Red Sox and that last win over the Yankees on Wednesday night. So you have that situation where it kind of you know, it sort of looks like the team that people were fairly disappointed in, but fairly confident would make the playoffs back before they played the Rangers because they basically erased that. And it's it needs to be said, they, they didn't erase that by being spectacular. They erased that largely because the Rangers and Mariners both got swept simultaneously while they swept the Red Sox. Like that was a, a freakish event. Like I know at this time of year, playoff chain odds can change very, very quickly based on a single night even, but the way it changed in this case, like the the Ranger series really should have buried them a lot more than it has. Uh, And then they were quite lucky with how that turned out. And then, as as you said, now that the Rangers and Mariners, and to a lesser extent, the Astros, although we tend to kind of treat them like they're sort of in and they'll be fine, even though, you know, over a 9, 10 game span, 
you know, any team can kind of perform in any way. Um, the fact they're playing each other now when the Blue Jays have a leg up, even a minor leg up, is just such a different proposition because now if they kind of split things, then the Blue Jays can sort of muddle along and that's fine. And if one team does significantly better than the other, wins five of the seven games, six of the seven games, then the Blue Jays, again, even sort of muddling along, can stay ahead of ahead of that one team that really gets buried. And so they're in a, a really good spot in that regard. I think the people are maybe not putting enough weight on the fact that six of the remaining games are coming against a Tampa Bay Rays squad that is in a very tough battle for an AL East crown and is probably the superior team to the Orioles. And, you know, you can easily win one or zero out of those games. I'm not saying that that's necessarily what's going to happen, but it's easy to see the Blue Jays in terms of the quality of the team and say, oh, here's a nine-game span. Yeah, I mean, how, how bad could it be? They could only win, you know, four or five games. I'm sure it'll be something like that. But you know, quality of competition matters. And the quality of competition for the Blue Jays is, uh, it's difficult. Absolutely. And we saw that uh, here on Thursday night. You know, we saw the, you know, Whit Merrifield had a quote about uh, the Yankees not necessarily being engaged. They're kind of playing the kids a little bit. You know, uh, you know Michael King was great on, on Wednesday. But, you know, you saw the quality of, uh, and even Clay Holmes kind of wobbled a bit there in the ninth inning. But but uh, but Cole was just so good. And, uh, you know, you got Glasnow coming up. You're going to have Cole again uh, on the schedule. You're going to have King again on the schedule. Um, you know, as long as things continue to line up the way that they currently are. Uh, yeah, it's not going to be easy. And uh, the, the race are very good as you say they are um they're still they still have something to play for and that's going to you know add a dimension to it they may not by the end of the uh you know by the the final series but um yeah quality of competition does matter and yet you know we're it's still it's still so weird we're talking about a team with the third best record in the american league or who did until they you know dropped a half game and, and are now equal with houston but but it, it's it's so bizarre that they're that that's what this team is like. There are there are two teams better than them record wise in the American League this year right now. Uh, so you know they can win. They can. It feels like that they've had such a terrible time of beating, uh, you know, above five hundred teams, teams that are better than them, teams in their division. Uh, that's changed a little bit with the the Red Sox and the Yankees here in the last uh, the last several days over you know since we last spoke. Um, well, I have maintained, you know, and I'm not going to take victory laps because holy shit, they may not do anything. They may completely flop. Uh, but you know, I mean, you know, it, it was never for me a matter of uh, they can't beat those teams. They just hadn't, and and I think that uh, you know, <laughs> we'll we'll know a little bit more about that in a week's time or in two weeks' time. Um, but yeah, it it could be incredibly tough, but it's going to be tough for everybody else, and I think it's going to be uh. You know, one of those the Rangers or the Mariners is going to lose two two times this weekend, so they're going to be feeling as on the brink as the Jays will when they inevitably lose. However many times they <laughs> lose at the stupid trop, uh, and uh, the Jays will still be very much in it because of those two losses from one of those teams. No matter what happens in these next three games, um, so you know we got some exciting uh, baseball to to watch. Uh, the rest of the way, I guess, you know, someone is going to back their way into this third spot. Uh, and it absolutely could be your third best team in the American league. Somehow the Toronto Blue Jays. 
Yeah, you make a good point about this weekend and how that could potentially feel. Uh, you know, even if they get swept, they'll still be very much in it because of the way the schedule works out. And then they're going to be heading home to face the Yankees. So I think there'll be some level of confidence, whether that confidence is justified or not. As you said, they're going to see Cole again, um, that they can do something in that series. So even should the worst happen for the Blue Jays this weekend, they're going to be starting the next week feeling like they're in, you know, not a dire spot. And the same potentially won't be able to be said for one of the Rangers or Mariners, right? Like if that series gets swept or even if one of those teams loses a series, but the the Blue Jays sweep the Rays, which is obviously not a scenario that I think is particularly likely, but you can you can engineer ways in which one of those other teams feels like they're in a truly bad spot after this weekend, and that won't be the case for the Blue Jays. Although you might get those kind of vibes of things go, not only they lose, but also the way they lose. And I think that if we can learn anything from the last week, and we probably should endeavor to learn something because, um, you know, just the just the way the uh, the way the discourse went, and you know, I more than you, but I think both of us participated. Um, there is something to be learned about, like not falling for the lowest lows and the highest highs. And I know that what happened in the immediate aftermath of the Ranger series was such an extreme, unpredictable outcome that maybe it makes it seem more probable that type of thing can happen. But I think at this time of year, it kind of, you have to not pay as much attention to how you lose. Like, yes, run differential over the course of a full season tells you a lot about the quality of a team. But if the Blue Jays lose two games in the trop and they're lost, you know, 10-1 and 9-2 and they look listless, which is everyone's favorite adjective, um, then it doesn't really matter. Like at this point, it doesn't really matter how good a team the Blue Jays are, as, as sort of silly as that is, because they're kind of as good as the other teams. It's really a matter of uh, wins and losses. So I think that before people get too, I don't know, psyched or too down with the Blue Jays, Consider the literal results and the literal kind of, you know, countdown to six wins and all that jazz instead of how things happen. Because how things happen is for evaluating teams and the time to evaluate teams is over. Completely agree. Uh, also agree. Don't look at run differential because I think they're behind the twins uh, and maybe a few other teams in the AL this at this point. Um, but, you know, that's sort of not how they're built and also certainly not how they... Um, how they've performed this year they have not been a, a team that is blowing out other teams they have been a team that is uh winning tight infuriating games and often also losing them um yeah i think the, uh, I, I think there could be many lessons to be learned but i will we'll, we should take stock of that maybe more at the end of the season i don't want to uh i don't know i've said some things along the way we and we that that i that i feel pretty okay about at this point um but also as you say, you know, last week we were pretty down and, uh, you know, it, it, it's odd. You know, we're, we're a podcast that I think enjoys, uh, you know, demands, if not enjoys uh, accountability from ourselves. And, and, and sure, yeah, we were a little bit down on the possibility that, you know, 12 of 13 results over the next, <laughs> the next three, four <laughs> days would, would go their way. You know, uh, that did seem sort of implausible. And, and uh, where we were at was probably... Uh, correct, but we, you know, we're the ones who've been keeping our heads on straight this whole time, and so you know, the fact that we kind of let the dam break a little bit last week uh, says something about how dire that really was and felt. Um, 
But we could, if we, we could just have held out one more week, we could have really sort of claimed that moral high ground. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah, I don't we, think we, we can. But we relinquished it again. I think more so <laughs> me than you. But it, it was officially relinquished, and so a missed op- a missed opportunity for an absolutely pyrrhic victory. Uh, and you, you you hate to see it. You hate it's to really see, true. Hate to see one like that slip through the fingers. I think that sort of the tradition of this podcast over the course of this season has been kind of after the biggest story of whatever the week or what we're talking about. It seems like one, the one B block, the two block, whatever you want to call it, whatever the, the showbiz parlance you want to want to use has basically been like, what the hell is happening with Alec Manoa? Yeah. And <laughs> we got to go back to it. This is like around 45 of like, what the hell is going on with Alec Manoa? Because we had, yeah, new developments this week. Uh, it was Ben Nicholson-Smith reporting that he's sort of officially done and that there are a variety of arm injections that were involved in this, I don't know, declaration of him being done. I'm just going to leave it open to start. Like, what do you make of the latest report and what does this sort of change for you in the way you're perceiving the Manoa narrative? Yeah, I wrote a little bit about it uh, here on Thursday, and you know, it it is it is one of the strands. There's sort of like fewer strands from what everybody you know wondered at first, and how you know why isn't he reporting all the all this? You know, was one of the possibilities was you know there is some there is some sort of bad blood here, uh, and as we heard about the health stuff and the the uh, the testing, the multitude of tests that he had to go through or had chosen to go through, or was put through, whatever, whatever, however that worked. Uh, a strand of that was, okay, there's some dispute here over whether he was hurt or not, and that seems to sort of be what it is, which is sort of a, a thing that happens, uh, you know, not frequently, but certainly does happen. Uh, and it just feels like, yeah, there's one side that says, oh, he was hurt. And uh, also, we didn't tell you that until... Uh, you tried to demote him and, and screw up his service time and all that stuff. Uh, on another side, it's kind of like, well, th- that's not what we're finding, or it turns out what you're finding, or you know, nobody, nobody seems to find be able to find anything wrong with him. Like, no, none of the reports are saying that the the doctors have found structural damage. That there's apparently inflammation. He's taken these these injections. Um, we don't know when or why or what for or whether it was you know anywhere near the time he was last even on a mound um and so it just it just feels like that's that you know that's what it is that they are uh on Manoa's side uh looking to reclaim some service time because they felt that he was uh demoted when he was hurt when that is not allowed because if he was hurt he should have gone gone on the injured list and the blue jays obviously didn't put him on the injured list because they didn't think he was hurt or had cause to put him on the injured list uh and now that's sort of where they're at uh which is uh weird but weirdly simple uh and hard to think of another way that that this is at this point despite you know spending weeks wondering about the ins and outs of it that's where i'm at at least yeah whenever you have two sides that are in dispute and i mean in this case it's a little bit odd because neither side is really giving us much on the record right this is all kind of reported out and it's sort of trickling in over a variety of weeks this is why we keep checking in with the manoa storyline over and over again but whenever you have two sides in a sort of dispute and you don't really know which side to believe i often find myself defaulting to incentives 
Like what is side yeah. X incentivized to do? What is side Y incentivized to do? In my opinion, and again, this is this is me using a rubric for problem solving here that may not apply to this situation. But I don't think that the Blue Jays are sufficiently incentivized to pretend like this guy's not injured. Like I understand that demoting him does, you know, it does prevent the Super 2 status, does save them a few million bucks uh, over the course of arbitration because you only have three years. It can't, you can't get the same level of raises. Like it does quote unquote benefit the Blue Jays, but I just have a hard time getting to that point where the Blue Jays are so dead set on saving this money within the context of years of control they already have for Manoa as well. Like it's not like they're gaining more years of control. It's like a minor budgetary item within the context of the next four years of their payroll. Like they're so dead set on that that they're willing to, you know, risk grievance, destroy a relationship with an important player for the franchise. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Like maybe they're cynical to the extreme such that they would do something like this. But for me, the payoff of that, which again is just like it's a few million dollars over a course of a couple of payrolls and no difference in amount of team control is not enough to go about this in a malicious way. So I'm inclined to believe that the Blue Jays genuinely think that there is nothing or maybe not nothing but like nothing sort of truly wrong with Manoa that would necessitate a trip to the IL whereas Manoa's side is very incentivized in a in a kind of literal sense to get this service time get this money like this amount of money of him going through super 2 him having the extra arbitration is worth so much more to Alec Manoa than it is to the Blue Jays. You know what I mean? Like he's a human being for which a couple million dollars is not a accounting line item. Like it is, it's crucial to his career earnings <laughs> and like, you know, the way he goes about his life. And, you know, even, well, especially if he's going to keep pitching like he did this year. <laughs> well, that aside, let's, as <laughs> let's assume he'll be good again, which may not be a safe assumption, but I assume he'll make some money again at some point in his career. Like it, the idea of them kind of pursuing every avenue available to them to try and prove like, oh, there's something wrong with him so that they can get this money, kind of whether there is or not, makes sense to me. Now, there might be this middle ground where Manoa genuinely, truly believes that he is dealing with an injury, there's something wrong with him, and the team believes that he is not, but both sides are genuine in that belief and they just, you know, I like I've had injury. obviously I'm not a professional athlete, but like I've had injuries before, I've had a shoulder injury before, I remember when I was a lot younger and like it was painful to the point that I couldn't sleep and it just never got properly diagnosed. Like you just couldn't figure out what was wrong with it. And so like, I don't know if it's something like that where he is genuinely feeling some kind of hurt and they're just unable to find it and it's created this massive mess. Uh, that could be the case as well. But if somebody is acting in a way that is a little bit uh, dubious. I looked to the incentives and it seems more likely to me that Manoa is finding a way to reach for this service time than that the team is trying to deny it to him specifically in a planned way. But I, I could be wrong on that, but that's my first instinct. Yeah, that's basically where I am, I'm at uh, as well. And I mean, it, it, look, the service time also could factor it. It doesn't necessarily have to mean super two because the cutoff is sort of uh, we don't know what the cutoff is yet. And yet, you know, you start thinking about uh, it could be a control thing because they, they, you know, the the longer he's in the minors, 
the the there's there becomes a chance at some point if he's in the minors again next year, which you know if he pitches again next year the way he did this year, there's a chance he spends some time in the minors and that could push his free agency back. Uh, there's also just the fact that you know but the, the contract... Blue Jays don't want that. Like they, no, they, of they do they don't. not no. want that. That's not some no, kind no, of scenario that... they're planning for. No, and and I think that there is understandably. Uh, Especially if you're on the player side, like there, there's, there's going to be some cynicism about, you know, like they were going, they were going to manip- manipulate Vlad's service time, like, like they didn't, they didn't have to because he got hurt, you know, when he first came up in 2019, but they, like they, they were gearing up to do that, and they're, they're not, you know, they're not unlike other MLB teams in that regard. I don't think that matters. There's also, you know, you look back at the examples of, you know, Josh Donaldson had a had disputes with the high performance department. Jose Bautista didn't exactly uh, jibe with them. That was kind of different in the sense that, you know, they the the guys that uh, I don't know when, you know, Mike Frost did and, and, and George Poulos left for Atlanta and went, like, but there 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 was there was a new system coming in place and and this is this is kind of the thing with these these things right like sometimes guys and this is what i think was entirely the point of the blue jays bringing in the high performance department was because guys were going out and they would get third party uh assessments and have gurus of different types you know looking after their nutrition looking after all these other aspects that they thought that would be best to like keep in house and keep you know within the you know the what what the Blue Jays as an organization felt this is part of, you know, the modernization of the front office that took place when, uh, when March Byron Ross Atkins took over. Uh, and so, you know, those guys, that happening then is maybe, a little, I think a little different or a lot different than, you know, uh, you know, Manoa wasn't here, uh, when there was anything different, a different setup. So, uh, I can understand that maybe a little more I can under- than, than I can this. I can also understand, you know, I, the, the weird thing about the today, the today's revelations, and I wrote this as well, is that it feels like a trial balloon or it feels like they're waging PR war. There's absolutely a spin element to it because, you know, if they had anything concrete, like, okay, the, this is what, the, this is what the grievance is going to be based on. They, the Blue Jays did something clearly wrong he, he something was misdiagnosed they didn't go and get the thing diagnosed that they should have uh which is just implausible like flat out implausible for a number of reasons obviously the blue jays wouldn't want to do that wouldn't want to wreck this relationship as you've already talked about uh you know if they that, that i guess you know that's possible um but they this is just the the pr aspect of it made it seem like they are trying to paint trying to nudge people into thinking oh he was hurt all along he got these injections you know and and that where they have nothing sort of concrete that has that has come out and i and this is me assuming you know i don't know what ben's sources are obviously uh but it's hard to believe as i also wrote that the blue jays would be the people out there saying oh he's been getting these injections he's still looking at they're thinking maybe thoracic outlet syndrome and all these sort of scary things about what they're looking for uh in terms of all these tests uh, that have yet to be found because they're fishing for something, and they they just that that bringing that up makes it seem like the idea that he was hurt and the Blue Jays said we don't care you're getting demoted and not put on the IL uh, that makes that seem plausible, which seems a bit weird. And I feel that also you know like going back to the Donaldson and Bautista like like if you're if you're trying to wage war in the court of public opinion, if that's you know the desperate point that you've gotten yourself to uh you'll do a better, you'll, you'll be better off if you're the uh the 20 26 or 2015 mvp or your jose bautista than if you're you know alec manila coming off the year that he had you know uh the blue jays are not opposed to uh giving guys a lot of time and giving guys a lot of tests nate pearson who we just watched you know 
painfully struggle through uh, uh, through, through an inning and a, and a bit of work on Thursday night. You know, he had that hernia thing that took forever to get diagnosed, though. I don't know what the service time issues. I think he was on the big league aisle the whole time. Sure, that's different. But that was sort of that, that's it came about in ways that the it makes it clear that the Blue Jays were uh, they want these guys to get right. They don't want they're not out here like trying to uh, and I maybe I'm being too pro Blue Jays, but that's just it, it just doesn't make sense to me that they would approach things with other guys in that way, approach things with Pearson in that way, and then be like, no, no, we're not going to put you on the on big league IL. We're going to try to screw you out of money. It just, it's just not plausible. No. So it's a weird, it's a weird situation, uh, and you know, comes back to what we've been thinking, or I've you know been thinking for. It's like he, I don't know if he's getting good advice. Uh, our young friend Alec Manoa, um, podcast uh, legend uh, Alec Manoa, but but it's it's a very weird situation, and uh, and jibe with the humility and 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 just anything that we were supposed to think about him, which is you know not a reason to not you know. File a grievance if you really do think you've been wronged, but it's just hard to see how that could make sense, like you say, because of thinking about the incentives on either side. Yeah, I, it is. They absolutely want the player to get right. Like they want to have the one pitching development success story in franchise history uh, to be good, so that they don't. You know, it's a it's bad PR for the Blue Jays if Alec Manoa <laughs> sucks uh, or if he's injured. And like you said, it is. It is absolutely understandable to be cynical about how the Blue Jays operate, how MLB teams operate. It is our instinct to be pro players in disputes between teams and players, between labor and management and all these things. So I, I, it, it does feel weird to have this conversation and sort of be like, yeah, it seems like the Blue Jays are the ones who are in the right. And um, it's not a natural impulse. It's just kind of where things lead us right now. What I think is interesting, like you mentioned the idea of them sort of floating the trial balloon in public about these uh, about these injections and them looking for thoracic outlet syndrome and how that could be sort of beneficial to Manoa in the PR war or uh, just, just a good thing to have on the record, I guess. What I think is interesting about that is just like it's all it's so vague, like we're spending time here really teasing it apart. But I think that the average fan who's looking at sort of the headlines as they come in about Manoa, who, you know, in the middle of this big playoff race is not the primary concern for a lot of people. Like, it's almost too subtle. You know what I mean? Like, if you're trying to, if you're trying to move the needle of public opinion, which, you know, often tends to go team instead of player, maybe less so today than it would have 20 years ago, but still often tends to go that way. And you're dealing with a player, yeah, who's had awful performance issues this season which has not endeared him to fans like it I, I don't know i just don't know if this moves the needle i think the best case scenario is you have someone be like oh didn't he have some injections or something there might have been something going on but i <laughs> i just like i just i don't know I, the end game on that doesn't seem like it's going to be something that's sort of truly beneficial to the player but maybe it's something they can point to you know come grievance time or whatever it's just yeah, and I don't know. I don't expect we'll be talking about this again sort of a week from now, but I do expect it's, you know, the story is going to keep unfolding. Maybe not in terms of sort of the literal facts of the case, for lack of a better term, but 
when it comes to the relationship of the team and the player and what next year looks like. It's already such a mystery from a performance standpoint. Like we don't really have any idea what Manoa could be in 2024, but in terms of a team player relationship standpoint, and we're just not going to know for a long time. Like it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem likely that you're going to have some Alec Manoa press conference in November where he talks about this whole thing and what he feels about the team. It, Seems more likely it's going to be a like a little bit of a mini mystery where we don't have all the facts and for the foreseeable future. I agree. Yeah, it probably uh, it, it's going to be a weird story. We will be talking about it, uh, like you say, not next week, but for a while. And which is also weird because you know now he's behind Mitch White on the depth chart. I think Mitch White, Mitch White, just, absolutely uh, dealing. I've seen some <laughs> some twit. I like. I don't know. I think there's a good person, and I get it. You know, he's doing well at Buffalo. You could make an argument that the whole Mitch White thing is that he didn't get enough time and that his, some of his peripherals were final. I just don't think you can sell Mitch White to people. Like I just, I just don't think anyone's buying. I am sold. I am already sold. He's up to ninety-seven. He's uh, what ten strikeouts from four innings or something oh, like that. Man. Three and two thirds. He's dealing, like you say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a, there is a reason that they got this guy. There's a reason that they, there's something that they saw there. Oh, in terms uh, of being—I mean, I'm not, I'm not joking about being Mitch White pilled, but like, you know, if you're being, I, a, could, right. I could see it. And honestly, you know, if if, if people, if anyone wants to take bets on White versus Manoa and how their 2024 season is going to go, I don't know which to choose. Oh man, I I, think I would go with Manoa still. No, but rational—I don't think I would. Rational brain wise. <laughs> There are reasons to believe in Mitch White, as you said. Like he, there's a reason they got in the first place. He didn't actually pitch that much with the Blue Jays. Some of the disasters were probably overstated. But you know, we you know we were kind of indulging in a lot of lizard brain last week, and I think there's just there's just a such a level of lizard brain rejection in terms of Mitch White <laughs> that it's just a non-starter for people. Like maybe you can rehabilitate the and not that that matters. Like the team is going to make the choices that make sense, even if the fans are against it. But I think that in terms of public perception, like you need a full spring training like puff piece extravaganza about how mitch white is a new guy before you can get any blue jays fan even remotely interested in that like i don't know i saw some tweets flying around about pro mitch white stuff and i'm like i wonder what the engagement on that's going to be because i just I <laughs> well, maybe he just needs to start sleeping 14 hours every night oh you want to do you want to do that now we got to do that so <laughs> I mean... let's do that now okay so first of all a little bit of context is like i'm more fascinated by this than the average person because i am like firmly an insomniac myself so someone who struggles to sleep a human being who can sleep 14 hours is a bit of like a mythical beast as far as I'm concerned. Some of the quotations actually quite bothered me, such as like, oh, you should be, as if you, if you close your eyes, you should be able to sleep. Uh, and I, I had a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to that particular quotation <laughs> myself. Fair. But it is, uh, to me, okay, so a little bit of clarity here. The 14 hours, I don't think anyone really ever believed that it was 14 hours every single day. Like that didn't make any sense. Although it did, uh, I don't know, it did really get me thinking about what life like that would be like. And just in terms of, and I tweeted this, but just like the perception of time, right? Like it would, life not seem to pass so quickly yeah, if you were that. only <laughs> conscious 10 hours a day. Like your year would be gone in a snap. I, that that part of it. But then it says, I don't know, there, I think it was, um, there was an SI had a good follow-up about it. 
that where they talked to a lot of the other Blue Jays, and the story became a little bit less mystical, a little bit more kind of realistic. And Kikuchi's like, yeah, you know, the fourteen hours, which you know is insane in any context, to be clear, um, is for start days. The other days, it's more like eight to ten, which again, like for adults, especially adults with the responsibilities. I think he's a father, is he not? Um, still a lot. And just the, uh, I, the, the you, you were asking me I, I, like I'd give a fuck about any of these guys' kids. That was <laughs> I have a, no that, idea that who's who. That or was what. a big. So I, I think it's from the article. I, I'll check. But um, <laughs> I mean, I know there's people who really are into that, and and you know they have lovely well, little families, and it's very cute to follow them on Instagram. But I you know, at I one point I couldn't tell you who's got kids or doesn't. At one point, that was a big theory for why the Blue Jays were no good. It was uh, that there was just a huge percentage of recent fathers and a lack of sleep, which is a pretty funny thesis. I don't, I don't know. You know what? I, I had that thought myself without even ever seeing that. I know Kirky got got one. Vlad's always got kids, probably, from what I understand. <laughs> yeah, there's no shortage of Vlad's. There, well, I guess that's Guerrero's, not Vlad's. I don't think they pass on the Vlad, although evidence suggests so far that they do. Um, anyway, so then, it, you know, it becomes more reasonable. He sleeps eight to 10 hours a day. That's, that's, you know, it's a ton, but it's re- like more on the 10 so side than the eight uh, side. Eight is like, whatever. That's supposedly normal. But then, you know, people are, talk- <laughs> I mean, Nick, it, yeah, eight to 10 seems, seems fine to me. Yeah, like 14. 14. But then- I mean, I'm, I'm not a schedule oriented person as, as many people know, as I wrote the other day too. And then uh, I stand by, uh, yeah, like 14 is like. Now it's uncomfortable to be in a bed that long. Like, that's just insane. It just, it's, it's, it's impossible to fathom. Like, you could sleep deprive me, like, intentionally for, like, four days and then put me in a bed and just let me rip. And there's just no way. Like, there's, I don't know what the theoretical limit for me would be. Like, I don't know, like, 10, 11 hours. I could see that. 12 hours if I was insanely sleep deprived. But 14 is, like, that's newborn child territory. Like, before they're not sleeping, sleeping. And again, this is not my area of expertise. But, you know, people are making the qual comparisons. And I thought it was funny is they have all this talk about him, you know, sleeping in the middle of the clubhouse with music on just at any given time. And Whit Merrifield implying that he had a bunch of photos <laughs> in his phone. Of the, I don't know. It's funny because I think this is, you know, it's a silly little thing. It's a little anecdote that, you know, connects the player to the people watching for a brief little time. And we see that in a variety of ways with guys talking about their hobbies or, you know, just something you learn about a guy, uh, you know, a habit, a dog, whatever it is. And, you know, you and I are not the Instagram ones who will know a little bit more about these players sometimes. But with guys who don't speak to us, you know, Kakuchi speaks through an interpreter and if that, we hear, you know, two minutes canned every five days. Guys like that are less likely to have features written about them that include a lot of their quotations. Like, that's kind of unfortunate in a sense. But having been there, the reality of getting someone for an extended period of time, them and their interpreter, to do a story, it's just, like, logistically, it's much harder to do. Uh, and there's a reason you... And, for, and it, it does hurt the game, right? Like, you have way more lengthy features if you're going to kind of look at it about the guys who speak english than the guys who speak spanish or exclusively or japanese like that's you could probably do some kind of study on that and i don't think that that is necessarily good for the game people shouldn't be highlighted more than others which is a more serious point than i mean to make here what i'm saying is that we don't get a lot of a sense of kikuchi 
mainly what we know over the last two years is kind of like he's liked by his teammates. He's hardworking. It's a good story that he's gone through these struggles and he's found his way back. But there's not a lot of Yusei Kikuchi personality stuff that we get. And it's really funny that the first thing we, not the first thing we ever learned, but sort of the one that hits the hardest is just that this guy's never conscious. Like, what <laughs> what a thing to be, like, specifically known for. It's like, oh, Kikuchi, yeah, he's a left-hander, strikes lots of guys out. He's really come around this year. He's never awake. Like, All right. <laughs> it, it's truly incredible. <laughs> I, yeah, I, uh, I have nothing to add to that. That's, that's absolutely true. I got a kick um, out of it. I liked it. It was fun. Yeah, I, I did too. And I like how everybody just sort of posted through it after. It's like, oh, he's kind of goofing everybody. You, you had to know that that wasn't really true. It's like, no, he sleeps 14 <laughs> hours a night. You will not convince me otherwise. No, yeah, I don't I don't care. Any of those tweets of it being a joke. First of all, if it's a joke, more, uh, you know, more power to him because that's fun in its own way. But also, whatever, it's it's not a joke to me. This is the thing. This is the thing <laughs> I'm like hanging on to. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah um on a you know wits wits phone uh if he's got the you know i think i found a new job for mike babcock so that's handy peace that i mean that is not the purview of this podcast but that is hilarious Un- unbelievable series of events i think the i mean the learning from that is just that like you know when someone shows you that they're shit over a lengthy period of time you should probably believe them at a certain point and yeah, once you get to your sixties, probably probably not changing a ton. Yeah, yeah, and I, baseball is you know sometimes just as bad with recycling, although not quite as bad as hockey in terms of you know we've seen a kind of a new wave of managers and new wave of general managers, and not all of that's been for the best, you could argue. But I do think that in some ways baseball clings to tradition, but in some ways is open to new ideas, whereas hockey is more like, hey, I remember when you played, you can be the GM. Why don't you decide who we trade for? Uh, it's it. <laughs> There's still a lot of that sort of in there. So, you know what? I mean, now it's a tangent, but it it works in soccer a lot. There's a lot of you know guys go back to their all their first clubs, and there's you know the the there is sort of a, an infrastructure there to you know you need a coaching license, you need to go through hoops. There's you know they don't just sort of hand it to a guy because they they remember them or, or whatever. But there are there are a lot of in the world of soccer, you know, and and uh, this. It, because this is the thing I would laugh at hockey about for all you know for the, the longest time, and you know baseball is not a lot better, but it certainly has gotten better now that the guys you know, wearing the polo shirts make the decisions instead of the guys wearing the uh, you know, <laughs> with, with the with the pine tar and their dicks. I believe is something I wrote the other day. Um, but yeah, like soccer is uh, is a surprisingly large number of of people who have played, and there's value to that. I think. Uh, if we want to talk about it seriously and not just laugh at the insane Columbus Blue Jackets situation. Uh, but it is interesting. I don't think that that, that it has to be uh, that you stop evolving and that you that that one uh, play, you know players can be you know have a unique expertise. And, uh, I don't want to yeah. uh, downplay that. You know Ross Atkins. Yeah, I was gonna uh, say Ross Atkins, professional baseball player, which is so, which I, every, no everyone's favorite GM. Yeah, no one remembers. <laughs> like I did a whole feature of that like years ago about like, <laughs> hey guys, this guy was a pro baseball player, and this is what it was like. Being his team now, to be fair, one of the people I talked to, it seemed like being his teammate uh, that he wasn't actually that dissimilar then. That he like you can you can be a very good baseball player and be Ross Atkins ish. Um, <laughs> it's been done. So no, but it, it is yeah. It I think baseball has progressed a little bit, but there's I think you just want to avoid a situation where you're just firmly in one camp. Like you, 
these guys can only be former players that we know, or they can only be people who have graduated from these four universities in these three disciplines over the last 15 years. Um, you know, there's a, it's good to be flexible to different outcomes, but yes, yeah, so yeah. tell that to the, tell that to the entire media apparatus as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole different kettle of fish before we get out of here. I think we should touch on Vlad a little bit um because he's doing the he's day-to-day with a knee issue again no sort of serious structural damage and we saw him on thursday night which i think was pretty unexpected you don't normally get the day-to-day like normally when guys are available to pinch hit they'll say that they'll say oh you know he's he's dealing with something and then someone might ask you know is you know, would he be available in a big pinch hitting spot and you kind of get a sense and i think that the understanding most people watching that game had was that vladdy was was just not available and then he came in in that kind of weird wacky ninth inning and was forced to run for his life to uh prevent the game from being over which you know not an ideal situation for vladdy or the blue Jays. i mean first of all what did you make of that decision it's hard for us to say because we don't know the exact severity and then secondly what do you think the best way to deal with some vladi off days here are we looking at a biggio at first and merrifield at second is it uh you know time for the extended spencer horowitz look while belt's still out we haven't heard a lot about belt lately um no oh. what do you what do, what do you make of the vladi <sighs> difficulty <laughs> yeah uh God, I don't know. Yeah, I don't want to think about the, the stupid lineup. It, it was interesting that the you know I would have been fine with David Schneider getting the at bat, even though he has uh, obviously cooled off a little bit. Uh, still hitting some balls hard. I know you wrote a bit about him this week, um, but they're you know they're interesting. I think you wrote a bit about him this week. Maybe it was last week. I, I don't did. Know. I write about him most yeah. weeks. I mean, he's one of the more interesting figures. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so that, I mean, that I'm sure I didn't look at Twitter at that point, but I'm sure there was some consternation about that, especially because Vlad hit like a, a, a potential double play ball, which, you know, everybody, uh, could have seen coming. Um, so that, I mean, that didn't, that didn't necessarily bother me. I mean, it also speaks to something that I, the the knee has been a thing in March and in May and again now, and I wonder if it's just been sort of lingering in the background for a while. I mean, obviously they, they, that they're treating this differently um but yeah i don't i you know i don't know and it, it, if they if there's no structural damage and it's fine for him to run then then go nuts and run and just tolerate the pain uh, fine fine by me uh you know one one person's uh that's he's just he's just playing hard as another person that's a <laughs> that's a scary mistake like i'm not bothered by that so much uh where to go from here i mean biggio's defense at first base looked real good when he made that one nice play and he you know um Beyond that, I think he's looked pretty comfortable there, which is which is fine, which is weird because uh, he's not small. But that that, that, camera, that shot when he was next to Aaron Judge was uh, was stark. The difference in the sizes of the two men. Um, usually, you think of, of a first baseman as a taller man, um, but no, he seemed fine there, and that that's fine by me. Wit, if you know, you got wit. I'm I'm fine with that too. Horowitz, I mean. You know, play the matchups, whatever. I, I don't want to think too much about this offense, and I don't think we're going to see a ton of it against the Rays pitching this weekend anyway, so it might not matter a ton. Yeah, I mean, you, like you said, playing the matchups is probably it, right? Like, if it's a lefty, maybe you make sure Witson, and if it's a righty, maybe it's Horowitz. I've been 
pretty bearish on Horowitz all along. Like, I'm just not really of the belief that he's, you know, a super strong potential contributor to the future, whereas some people are more convinced that he's going to be someone for them. But in the now, in a no, way, he, get, he gets on, he gets on base, and and he can, you know, he doesn't hit for power. But the, the, I'll take a, I'll take a guy who gets on base a bit, and, and you know, can maybe hit a double. Like the, at this point, some days that would that would be all the difference. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely not the worst. He's not the worst option to have. I mean, it's the sort of thing where it's nice to develop sixth starter type, so you have a little depth. I think it's also nice to develop guys like Horowitz, so you don't have to go out and you know, pay for bench bats and that you have guys you can bring up in these type of situations. Uh, you know, the, the middle lineup without Guerrero does look a bit threadbare uh, just because Schneider is struggling right now and we're still waiting on belt. And like I said, it's been a bit quiet on that front. It is it is going to be a difficult uh, series against the Tampa Bay Rays. It is going to be hard for this team to hit that pitching. It's been hard for them to hit a lot of pitching over the course of 2023, but uh, I hope folks are ready for another, you know, potentially nail-biting type of series, and that's if things go well with the Blue Jays and they pitch well, which is also not necessarily a guarantee. But I think it's going to be a tough series in Tampa, and it's, uh, yeah, nothing is going to come easy from here on out. It really isn't, and that doesn't mean that they're not going to make it here. Um, but it is, uh, it is. It's not an easy road. I think they have the hardest road of anyone involved, and they are lucky that the that the Mariners and Rangers and Astros are kind of in this scenario where they can't multiple of them sort of go off at the same time because I think the Blue Jays would have a hard time putting up sort of a very strong record over the next nine games. Like, I know that there's the, if they win six, they're going to get in. I'd be pretty surprised if they win six at this point. So you probably need some help, but I think it's fairly likely you get some help. But yeah, in a world where those teams are kind of doing their own thing and facing AL Central teams or doing some interleague play or whatever, the Blue Jays would be in a really tough spot. And luckily for them, that's not the case. You say that, however, Houston has an equal record to the Toronto Blue Jays playing in an easier division. And the Rangers and Mariners are have a worse record than the Toronto Blue Jays playing in a weaker division. I see, I, you know, look, maybe, you could quibble about whether the AL East or West is is uh, are, are the worse or better or whatever. But you know, Angels not been great. They they were okay for a while. Anyway, we don't need to quibble about that. Uh, I'm just saying they they all flawed. They all have their own flaws. They all are very capable of uh, uh, <laughs> of stumbling across that first hurdle and, and face planting. So, uh, so we'll see. It could it could end up being being a situation where it's not the four losses that the one team the one team is going to get out of the the, uh, the Mariners and Rangers when they play each other seven times. It could be the three wins that are problem. Yeah, I, I think that if you're a Blue Jays fan right now, obviously the situation is going to change every single day. We don't record every single day, so something I say here may become out of date pretty quickly. But what you want is the Rangers, I think, to go on a tear and beat up the Mariners because the Rangers are going to see the Angels uh, in their non-Mariner series. So they're likely to do well in that series anyway. So as a result, again, none of this is guaranteed. They got swept by the Guardians, for Christ's sake. Uh, but in theory, they would do well in that series. So if they're going to do sort of well in their other games anyway, You'd rather them beat up on the Mariners and uh, just do well 
I think, you know, your perfect Jay scenario is they do really well against the Mariners. They land the second wild card spot, and then the Blue Jays kind of bumble their way into the third one and then don't have to face the Rays or Orioles. But uh, I'm sure we're going to have plenty of convoluted scenarios to cheer for as the, as the games wind down here. So we will leave it there. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening into this episode of Blue Jays Happy Hour. We appreciate, as always, just your listens, but also ratings and reviews and all that good stuff. And we will be back with you next week. We've not firmed up the schedule, but we will let you know it's possible um, we, that we will increase the frequency as things get close here. But we make no firm promise this time. Have a good one. <laughs>